what this represents. If you're not old enough to know what it represents when a person was condemned to death in the court, it was the sentence of death. Everyone knew by this what the sentence was. As I walked down here, as I expected, there were a few laughs. In my place, condemned he stood. In fact, we come to God this morning, which when it means my eternal salvation and my forgiveness, there's no laughing matter. And just to make a comment, it's amazing how as a cultural thing across the world, I think you have to humor people to get the truth across very often. I love humor and it's good for us to use it as a church. But if you were in the courtroom before the judge, you wouldn't be laughing. I'm going to read a few verses in Romans, which is where I'm preaching from this morning. And um, let's take it off. But it could be, as far as God is concerned, there could be someone in this room this morning for which that black representation of condemnation still stands. That's the point we don't laugh. Because my job this morning is just to tell you how much God loves you and to remind you how much he loves you that Jesus stood in your place condemned that we might not be condemned. And in fact, in fact, we've arrived at Romans chapter 8, which other people have preached on before me. And we've been talking about that point where this chapter begins, therefore, now there is no condemnation to them who are in Christ Jesus. As for the train, I'll come to that a little bit later. I'm going to read a few verses. If you've got your Bibles or it's able to be up there, that's fine. It's Romans chapter 8. The verses we're looking at this morning are verses 14 to 17. But I'm going to read from verse 1 just so that we flow into these verses to, to understand what we're about. If you have an ESV Bible, you might have the title over the cross, Life in the Spirit. If you have, haven't got an ESV, you might have another title over the top. I don't know. But actually, this chapter begins with no condemnation. It ends with no separation. And in between, there is no defeat. That as a child of God, nothing can separate me from the love of God. Nothing can remove me from God's love. Nothing can take me out of the sphere of God's family. Nothing in the whole world can do anything to me when I'm God's child. Now the verses I'm going to look at, it's bringing us to the point where it, where Paul is showing the, the people he's writing to that we can have 
this confirmation, this confidence in our heart and in our life, in our thinking, in our way of life, that we are the children of God. And nothing can take us out of that. So life in the Spirit begins with no condemnation, it ends with no separation, and in between there's no defeat. Let's read from verse 1. There is therefore now condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law... I assume everybody knows what I mean by the law, but just in case you don't, it's those principles of life that God gave to the whole world that we might live by. The, uh, the main statements of those are the Ten Commandments, but there are many, many other details which um, expand on what God meant by that. A life which was acceptable to God, a life which no, none of us has found, but we can have in Christ Jesus. And so this law of life... What that law, the Ten Commandments, and all those things which God required, um, what that law, weakened by the flesh in verse 3, which means that um, that law was actually no good because we weren't able to keep it. So what that law, weakened by the flesh, could not do, by sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh. That is, Jesus' death, in his death on the cross, condemned he stood, he's, he, he's condemned all that was wrong in us. He took it and said, I'll stand in their place. He condemned sin in the flesh, verse 4, in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us, who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For those who live according to the flesh, just those base things and don't have anything to do with God whatsoever. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. Just to begin by saying, if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, um, you're not living in the flesh, you're living in the spirit whether we fully understand that or not. Continuing in verse 9, If in fact the Spirit of God dwells in you, anyone who does not have the Spirit of Christ does not belong to him. And I just need to pause there. And although this has been preached before, just to remind you that the believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who accepts him as Savior, the Holy Spirit comes into his life and we become a temple of the Holy Spirit. God's Spirit lives in us. That is an amazing supernatural thing which we can't explain and we can't understand in a way. There's much mystery about it. And we'll help to explain that just a little bit later. Verse 10, but if Christ is in you, although the body is dead because of sin, the Spirit is life 
because of righteousness. That's the righteousness of Jesus. It's in us. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. So then, brothers, we're debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now up to there, there are other preachers which you can listen to online. So I really mustn't go any further into those. But this is where it begins today in verse 14. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit. And if you're a person, you do have an individual personal spirit. So God's spirit in us bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. That's a supernatural thing which God can only do within you to you personally, he gives that confidence and he works with your spirit. Verse 14, for all who live are led by the spirit of God are sons of God. The Holy Spirit, for many of us, or many, maybe at times in our lives, the Holy Spirit has been a real puzzle. Who is he? What does he do? Jesus and God are probably easily more defined than what the Holy Spirit is. And there still remains, and there always will remain, that mysterious work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Just what does the Holy Spirit do and how would I know if the Holy Spirit is involved in my life? There's a little story, just to be a bit humorous after the condemnation. There was a church minister who really loved peach brandy. He had a passion for peach brandy and probably the other stuff as well which a member of his congregation brewed and gifted him each year at Christmas. This went on for a few years, and the member thought it would be a nice gesture if the minister thanked him publicly, which he pressed the minister to do. The minister wanted to avoid any embarrassment, but finally agreed to do so. So the next Sunday, Joe, the member who gave him this peach brandy, sat with a grin on his face just waiting to hear what this minister would say. So the minister said, well, before I begin, I have an announcement to make. I would very much like to thank my friend Joe for the generous gift of peaches and for the spirit in which they were given. <laughs> just, a funny, just a funny little story. But just to remind us this morning, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. 
we're talking about someone who can be known, seen, and understood. And this morning, I just want to um, bring us a few things that help us confirm in us that we know the Holy Spirit is at work within us, because that's what the verses really are. It's just God wants us to know him as Father, and he wants us to be assured of that. Religion has robbed the earth of what we might know as relationship with God the Father. And that's something of what the law had did for the Jewish people. It was robbing them of relationship. And that's the important thing that we have this morning. The Holy Spirit really gives us the wonder of knowing a relationship with the Father that actually moves us on in our lives and really helps us. It's the wonder of the salvation that Jesus brings to us. So the Holy Spirit's activity in my life as a Christian endorses and authenticates the reality of having been adopted as a son into the family of God. It endorses that fact. What was the, do- this, the man who wrote this letter, he had hearers, and they knew exactly what they were talking about because in the Roman world, in the first century, an adopted son was a son deliberately chosen by his adoptive father to perpetuate his name and inherit his estate. No way was he inferior in status to a son born in the ordinary course of nature. Under Roman adoption, the life and standing of the adopted child changed completely. The adopted son lost all rights in his old family and gained all new rights in his new family. The old life of the adopted son was completely wiped out. With all debts being cancelled, with nothing from his past counting against him anymore, and his hearers would understand that. Often in that culture, Slaves would be, when it, say for a, for a man who had slaves and people working, if he hadn't had any children of his own, sometimes he would adopt a slave. And that slave would then become a son. And his, his past would be wiped out. All his connection with his old family would be wiped out. This is a legal thing in that culture. And he would be transferred into a new family. In much the same way as Paul was talking to his hearers, they would understand that what, we, what Jesus has done for us is exactly the same thing. He's made slaves sons. Now we perpetuate the name of Jesus. We've been doing this morning in praise and worship. And we inherit his estate. That's a point that Paul makes later on in the verses we read together. We are heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Now where else could you find that in the world? You can't find it in the universe. This is an amazing spiritual supernatural thing that through Jesus God has done for us. Is that amazing? Isn't that really amazing? Adoption. So the first thing I want to look at this morning about the Holy Spirit is this. The Holy Spirit means trouble. That's not the Holy Spirit I know or I want to know, you say. 
but listen to me. A father might say to his child something like, now you stay out of trouble. He might say, or if I catch you doing that, you'll be in trouble. And what does this do? It declares the father's love, concern, and relationship he wants to build with his child. Now when I'm talking about earthly fathers, I'm talking about good fathers. We live in a world where there are good fathers and very bad fathers. And we need just to know this morning that God is to be known as a good father. That is something we really need to learn and understand. And whilst the Holy Spirit means trouble, experiencing trouble is not the reason to doubt that I'm a child of God. Experiencing trouble in our life is not a reason to doubt that I'm a child of God. And if I was to look around this room this morning, there's probably various sorts of troubles. Could be financial, could be health troubles, could be family troubles, could be all sorts of things. In actual fact, Jesus, in his wise words, he said, in this world, you will have trouble. If we take the words of one of the old prophets, it said, man is born to trouble. So I want to say this morning, the Holy Spirit means trouble, but the point is, experiencing trouble is not a reason to doubt that I'm a child of God or have failed in any way. It's not God punishing us. Those who are joined to Christ in faith by the Spirit are also returned to the world from which they came. We live in a world of constant trouble, and sometimes it affects us, at other times it doesn't. But it's through trouble that God is going to bring us into a greater relationship with himself through the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives, who will help us deal with those problems. Poor old Darren's had someone run into his car. He doesn't know who it is. And he's left with a, going to be left with a bill for his car. He's got a little bit of trouble. And Father, we pray for Darren that he might know you're just helping him in this time of trouble. Some things really rise up as mountains, don't they? And we just don't know how to handle them. So Lord, give him the wisdom to be able to deal with that situation. In Matthew 13, Jesus told a parable. It's called the parable of the seed and the soils. And Jesus said this, when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. So there was a need in people's lives to actually take the word of God with its truth and apply it to their lives, but sometimes it doesn't work as it should do. We don't believe it as we should do. We don't take it and trust in it as we should, and it becomes difficult to face troubles. And in actual fact, we're actually pulled away Pulled away from, we, we feel like being pulled away from the family God and we become people who doubt, become people who, who need that reassurance that we're here. But the challenge is there that the word of God can help us with the trouble. When persecution comes, let us hold on. Let's realize that God is in it. He's going to take control of your life and my life. Hand it over to him. So dealing with troubles as a child of God strengthens 
the relationship we have with the Father. So when God says, stay out of trouble, if I catch you doing that, you'll be in trouble, it's the wise word of a loving Father. And sometimes that's how the Holy Spirit deals with us, you know? There is trouble, but we can overcome. We can know that God is with us and he helps us. Second thing is, the Holy Spirit means truth. We're living by the Spirit. The Spirit confirms we're the children of God. The Spirit helps us in our infirmities. He bears witness with our spirit that we're the children of God. But there's one thing he really does with us, and he actually means truth. He wants truth, not necessarily biblical truth, although it's all contained in there, but he wants us to be people of the truth. And there are ways in which we need to face that and see that. We live in a world of lies and mistruths, half-truths, and the world is desperate for honesty and consistency. I think if you're dealing with any service providers today, you just want a bit of honesty, don't you? You just want a sense of consistency about who you're dealing with. A father may at times say to his child, now tell me the truth. Now tell me the truth. A father said to his son, I want an explanation and the truth. To which the son replies, make up your mind, Dad, you can't have both. But God wants to deal with truth in our lives in every way. Truth as it relates to us individually, truth as it relates to God, truth as it relates to our world and creation, truth in actual form. But sometimes we live, or very often, I suppose if I look at my life, it's so easy to live with mistruth. You know? I could easily think I'm, I'm a better person than what I really am. Blah. It's not really true, you know. I could think I'm better at doing something than someone else, and then that person comes along and it does it in a better way than I do. And so my mind is actually not dealing with truth. And so we live in this sort of environment sometimes. But a father may say to his son, now tell me the truth. I just want to speak to someone who maybe knows they're not a Christian this morning. Um, I don't, like, don't want to be hard or come across in any way, but it's about truth. As a non-Christian, you have a selection of phrases that you use in reply either to God or to others who may ask you where you stand on this issue of salvation and eternity. Or you might say something like, well, I don't really understand. Or you might say, it's not for me. You might say, well, if there was a God, he would not allow this or that. But these replies are usually excuses which are, in effect, deceptive mistruths. When I came in, I was representing the words of a judge. 
and we cannot fool God. Each chair represents an individual this morning and someone sitting on it. And it'd be good to know that you know where you're going, that you're saved and born again of God's Spirit. There's a Professor Thornton has compiled a collection of what he calls virtually litigation-proof phrases. Poppycock, I think they might call it. Which he calls, and he makes up an acrostic on this, on liar. He calls it a lexicon of intentionally ambiguous recommendations and remarks. The point being that this is how we try to hide the real reason for the things we do and the things we say. Truth. This morning, God wants to deal with truth. Truth in here. Truth in our heart. We can't fool God and maybe we can't fool other people. Jesus once told a parable about inviting people to a banquet. As the invitations went out and they came back, the replies came back, Jesus said this, one by one, they began to make excuses. I can't do the washing up because I've got homework to do. Many parents have heard that before. True. But it just makes the point, the point of excuse. Can I say there is no excuse that we can offer to God? Jesus once told a parable about these people making excuses, but very often we find it in the church too. Oh, I can't come because it's not my thing. Well, it's all right for them. They can pray okay. Well, it's a good program on the television tonight. And one by one, we make excuses. The Holy Spirit means truth. And I think it's a challenge to all of us that we need to live by the truth. I've done it, and I'm sure other people have done it. Sometimes we make excuses that are not really valid. Over in Broadoak, there was a, a, a tent camp, what we call a tent campaign. It's where a, um, an evangelist came to the village. He put up a tent, and um, I heard this myself. Um, and uh, we were all in it together, except for one person, one family. And he said to the evangelist, he said, he said, I'll be with you in spirit. To which the evangelist replied, yeah, but I can't take a collection, an offering from the spirit, he said. Our presence is important. Things to do with our church community are so important, and we need to think very carefully that we live by the truth. The truth. God, as our Father, both wants us and loves an open, honest relationship. The Holy Spirit living within us, that's what he develops. An open, honest relationship. You know? And sometimes we find that quite difficult. Lord, I confess my sin. 
we have no difficulty with that. But when it comes to, Lord, I'm sorry for that lie I spoke, I said today, it's not so easy. An open and honest relation. The Holy Spirit is about truth. Jesus said the truth will set you free. And it does, I tell you. When we're open and honest with God, it sets us free. Spiritual freedom or security is realized through the power of the Holy Spirit helping us to live up to the mark of truth about ourselves, about our sin, our character, accountability, failings, gifts, God in creation, history, judgment, his love and grace and mercy are all aspects of his truth we need to take on board. It was David who realized his need in his own life. He prayed this prayer, Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable to you, O God. And that's a prayer we could all pray. Let us by our mouths be people who are living by the truth. And one more gossip aspects of truth. Winston Churchill said, a lie gets halfway round the world before the truth has chance to get its pants on. And when we talk about others, it is extremely important that we're factual and we don't exaggerate, non-condemning, and if at all possibly complimentary on those obvious good qualities, thereby avoiding gossip. It's a challenge to all of us, you know. We just find ourselves saying these things sometimes. But really, the Holy Spirit at work within us is moving us towards the truth. And whatever package it comes, living with us, the Holy Spirit means truth in every way. Lastly, the Holy Spirit means telling. Holy Spirit means telling. A father may say to his child, and we're dealing with God as our father, tell me what's the matter. The Holy Spirit is telling. That means we come into the, the realm of telling. Relating, if you like. Spelling it out. Telling. Tell me what's the matter, or tell me what's wrong. I'm sure parents here have had those times when you see something's troubling your child, and you say to them, tell me what's the matter. Tell me what's wrong. How can I help you? God, as a good father, will do that with us too. He wants to know what's on our heart. He wants to know what's troubling us. He wants to, he, he want, the Holy Spirit wants to come right into that situation and help us along the way. I've noticed too with children, if they had a good dad, they quite freely tell others about those enjoyable times they have with their dad together. And especially if dad has promised to do something that they're looking forward to. That child tells. That's a challenge to us too. How much do we tell of God's goodness? How much do we tell of how much God loves us and what he means to us. A child is telling. So that's one way that we can be telling. Psalm 19 says this, the heavens declare the glory of God, 
The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they pour forth speech. Night after night they reveal knowledge. They have no speech, but they're telling. (laughs) They use no words. No sound is heard from them, yet their voice goes out into all the earth. Their words to the end of the earth. Is my life like that? Is your life like that? There's something oozing out of you that tells forth the goodness and the glory of God. The Holy Spirit makes that possible when he comes into it. He makes us treasures of God. The Holy Spirit means telling. Of course, we also know about the gospel that we should share, and the Holy Spirit's always prompting us to share what we know about Jesus with others. The Holy Spirit is telling. Jesus spoke about his Father to others. He spoke to others about his Father. He told his Father about those things that troubled him. The fruit of the Spirit, we know, is telling. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control are telling in our lives. They're telling the goodness of God. The gifts of the Holy Spirit are telling those things that God gives us to do within the church. I was just looking at those gifts again this morning. It really jumped out the page. It talked in the church there should be uh, apostles, pastors, teachers. What comes next? Workers of miracles. Does God want us to to be able to work miracles? Yeah. It's in his list. It's telling the goodness of God. Desiring the gifts of God. The gifts of the Spirit are telling. They're telling something great, wonderful, and important. This is the work of a father for a child. Margaret's dad made it for my son, Peter. And many children have enjoyed times on it. It's actually the, the model, well, as new as you can get, the model of a steam train. And a steam train, well, sometimes I compare the life of the Israelites and the life of the Christian, the life in Christ, between a steam train and an electric train. Because with a steam train, as you will know, you have to fill it up with water. It needs men to work hard, sweating. You have to lump the coal in it, fill it up with water, get it up to pressure, know how to turn the right knob. It's hard work. It was hard work. Now God, through the power of his spirit, wants us to bring a life as a believer, not of hard work. But the electric train, what did it do? It had an electric motor and it just plugged into the live rail. And Jesus is our life, the Holy Spirit is our live rail that God wants us to plug into today. No working at it, just plug into it. And God is speaking to us. This last little story, when Margaret was young, she very often mentions this to me, because she had a problem with her feet, her, ma- her father dad made her wear strong, tough shoes, and he stuck with it. He made, used to make me wear those old clumpy old shoes, he said. But the other day, I heard, he said, I'm glad my dad did that for me because now I can wear the shoes I like. 
now because he can feel free to do that. But fathers do things for us that are so important. Sometimes we don't know what they're about. But the Holy Spirit wants to bring to us more and more what a lovely father we've got and how concerned he is for us to move us on into his glory. I just want to pray and um, maybe you, we'd like, we're going to have just coffee in a minute. Maybe we'd like to stand with you. We've had a, a wonderful time in worship this morning as Stephen's led us. But you know, when the church meets together, it's a place to do business with God. I just don't know what your business is with God this morning. Maybe something I've said I don't know. Maybe it's about truth. Maybe it's the fact that you really want to do business with God about your life this morning and accept Jesus Christ as Saviour. But he knows, the Holy Spirit knows what business you want to do with him this morning. Now do business with God. Do it. He wants to come right into your life and transform it to make sure you have the best for now and eternity. And Father, I just pray through the power of your Holy Spirit, come upon us afresh, we pray. Fill us anew, Lord. Help us to know the wonderful character of your fatherhood towards us, we pray. Let us know your goodness, Lord, how much you love us. Can I just just say to you, if you've realised you've been making excuses to God, let it go. It's, t- it's time for excuses to go. This is reality. Life, death, eternity, the world, the future, heaven, hell. This is a place to do business with God this morning. And I'll just close now, but if you would like someone to pray with you or talk with you, then please come and see me, talk to Bob, and the other ladies, persons, someone you feel comfortable with, just to, for you to understand and to know his goodness. Father, thank you so much for this day. This day is recorded in history. Chance number one for some people, but it could be chance a hundred. I've given you a hundredth chance to respond to me. Maybe you don't want to. So Father Spirit, would you do business in us this morning, in our minds, in our hearts, we pray in Jesus' mighty name. Amen.